0: Welcome back to another episode of Let's Talk Global Music. I am your host for this week, Molly Schneider. And this week we will be talking about Korean and Indian culture as well as their music. Now, we always have three different segments, starting with the history of Korean music and then going right into the then and now where we will be talking about the shaman music as well as the Indian music from back then to what is present now. And then, obviously, at the end, we have the song of the week, everyone's favorite segment. And then we have different call-in questions from one of our special guests. Now, let's jump right into it and go to the history of global music. For
1: this week's history segment, your host, Max Follen will talk about the history of religion and music in India and Korea.
2: Music has always been a major part in religion and the traditions that are part of those religions. Some of the earliest traces of music having a major role with religion go back all the way to 1200 BC in India. There are these ancient Hindu texts called Vedas, and the books of Vedas contain poems that were stories of Hindu deities and it talks about the caste system and the levels of the caste system. But most importantly, they also contain hymns. It was important for the Brahmins, also known as the ritual specialists, to memorize these hymns correctly. This is similar to shamanism in Korea, which I will get to later. This was because the sound of the recitation and the proper pronunciation was needed for the gods to accept their offerings and the rituals. During the 5th century, a treatise called Natya Sastra was written. This text described many dances, music, and drama of classic Indian traditions. Its most famous concept was Rasa. Rasa is a term that means moods or emotions, and it became essential for understanding Indian music. Another example of the importance of music and religions is shamanism in Korea. Similar to the brahmins, shamans' duty was to connect the spirits, but the way they connected was much different than the brahmins. This is mostly shown in what is known as ecstatic shamanism. In ecstatic shamanism, a shaman gets a spirit sickness, which basically means that it gets possessed by the spirits. This then allows the shaman to go into the spirit world and correct the imbalances that are in it. This is done through rituals with musical accompaniment. There are choruses sung, and there is also a major shout-sing element that is called chui-mase. It is also in many types of Korean music, and these rituals can last for several hours or several days depending on the resources that are put into it. And the most common thing throughout all of them is that music is present throughout the entirety of the rituals.
1: Hey guys, it's Jenna, and welcome back to this segment of Then and Now. I will be talking about the then for shaman music and religion in Korea. So, for a little background, shamanism is the wellspring from which Korean culture sprang. It is a form of animism in which ritual specialists channel and manage complex pantheons of spirits and their place in the material world. Um, Korean shamanism can be roughly divided into two kinds, which is ecstatic or spirit-descended traditions, which were traditional in central and northern regions. And this form was when shamans were possessed by spirits in shaman rituals. And then the other form is hereditary ones, which was prevalent in the south and on the eastern seaboard. And this form was where shamans act as intermediaries with the spirit world without experiencing spirit possession. There are actually many reasons for shamanism's deep place in the natural imagery of Korean tradition and identity. The first being shamanism is Korea's indigenous religion and the oldest and most deeply ingrained in Korean culture. The second is many of the genres of traditional music that became most famous in the 20th century have origins in or were inspired by shamanism and its practices. Lastly, shamanism is a religion which manages complex and changing pantheons of natural, historical, ancestral, and other spirits and is always in touch with the present and its many crises, which it seeks to heal or mediate. Actually, as economic life became more and more unpredictable, the last decades in South Korea have been seen as a revival of the shaman tradition. For their rituals, the musical aspects are based on traditional rhythmic patterns like most Korean traditional music. This is shown through accelerations of rhythmic patterns, shifts between patterns, and sudden endings to create a sense of the flexibility of virtual time and a sense of transformation. Which, transformation is actually a key principle in Korean traditional folk music. This goes along with how much of Korean traditional music can be thought of as an art of transformation, of time, feeling, content, and especially emotion or spirit. However, shaman ceremonies that developed under the hereditary shamans were not based on possession like the ecstatic, but on priestly work of mediating between the spirit world and the living through elaborating structured ceremonies. Lastly, Korea implemented a lot of improvisation, and it was one reason why Southwest shamanism inspired so many traditional genres.
3: Hey guys, my name is Nathan, and um, I'm really happy to be here on this awesome podcast, Let's Talk Global Music. Um, Today, I want to talk a little bit about shamanist religion and how that relates to the music in Korea in uh, modern day. So, um, a little bit about Korea. So, they went through an identity crisis, and they wanted to make concrete what was truly Korean culture. Um, so this affected their music because they codified much of the traditional Korean music, effectively taking away the improvisational quality that made their music unique. However, in addition to wanting to secure what was truly Korean, they also wanted to appear modern to the rest of the world. The government encouraged the spread of Christianity, um, which replaced the indigenous religion of shamanism. There exists in Korea today a tension between preserving what is truly Kore- Korean and choosing what this image will be. Um, Despite the government promoting Christianity, though, Korea still can't escape the effect shamanism has had on their culture. Many of the genres of traditional music that became most famous in the 1900s have roots in shamanism. This shows that Korea's obsession with roots could not escape the influence of shamanism because it is so responsible for their culture. Um, Some of these genres of music with shamanist roots include Sinawi, Sanjo, and Pansori. Sanawi uh, music is a genre of simultaneous improvisation by multiple musicians, modeled after traditional shamanist rituals in southwestern Korea. The genre is an elite and respected chamber music um, today, and disp- though despite the origins of being um, in rural and ritual contexts sanjo is another respected musical genre that has origins in shamanist ritual Uh, sanjo is a solo form of shamanist inspired improvisational music this genre holds great respect in korea with master performers holding equal status to western classical composers this genre is practiced by young girls in korea in an effort to increase their eligibility for marriage Um, a third respected musical genre with shamanist roots is pansori This genre is solo, musical, epic story singing, where a singer will recount an extremely long story of crisis and restoration. The stories are very emotional, and the performer only has a fan and a percussionist as accompaniment. All three of these types of Korean music genres have been preserved and are still performed today, yet all have deep deep roots in shamanist religions. Despite being an old religion, Shamanism is ever-adaptable, so it applies to modern-day life and crises in urban Korea. The religion is simultaneously ancient and modern. Um, Shamanism also has been a home for many different types of people, and being a religion of diverse beliefs, it has diverse followers. Despite attempts by Christians to stop the spread of shamanism, and especially ecstatic shamanism, um this is actually gaining in popularity in the Korean peninsula. So now I want to talk a little bit about Indian music, um, and I will be talking about Hindustani music um, as it was back then. So this music was once all contained in the Vedas. These are ancient, sacred Hindu texts that include hymns and poems sung to certain melodies called Samagama. The music of the region was uniform, and the Brahmins would memorize and recite the Vedic hymns. Interestingly, the sound of the recitation was more important than the meaning of the text recited. Proper pronunciation allowed the gods to accept the ritual offerings made by the Brahmins. Later, a text called the Natyasastra was written, which included information on music and the arts. Because of Muslim immigration to India, however, two systems of Indian classical music arose. Hindustani was influenced by Persian culture in the north, and Carnatic music was the music of the south. Because of this, there are many similarities in the music between Hindustani, Persian, and Middle Eastern traditions. Hindustani music originated as an oral tradition, and the owners of the knowledge guarded it heavily. Muslim families of professional musicians started musical lineages called Gaharanas. Students would come to learn Hindustani music from the North India's musical gurus, who were expert musical teachers. A student of Hindustani music would have to endure a long apprenticeship with these gurus, either an ustad, a Muslim musical master, or pandit, a Hindu musical master. A student apprentice may labor for years doing chores before lessons could even start, and a decade may pass before they learn the most important musical secrets.
1: First, a little background. The Mughals were defeated by Maratha armies, which led to the Mughal Empire being formally taken over by the British, in the form of the new British Raj, which was actually absolutely disastrous for Indian music. The end of the empire left hundreds of musicians on the streets with nowhere to go this actually led to indians starting to take journeys outside of india to take their art further and to meet with huge success in the 20th century in the current scene india is corporate sponsorship musicians are getting paid to produce music but that music is essentially compromised however in india and also parts of outside of india there are some very high quality music festivals running on the values of the old days in terms of content and quality. Hindustani also started to develop more within the digital age as well. Now, what they refer to as music of the people is what we call now folk music, and what they refer to as music of the gods evolved to what we call classical music.
4: Welcome back to this week's segment of Song of the Week. I'm your host, Benny Lieber, and today we'll be looking at Pamsori from Sinshanga. To start out, this piece starts in a slow 12-4 Jungmori rhythmic pattern before soon jumping into a 12-8 Jajingmori pattern. There are often downwards movements and glissandos, especially on the word Sugong, which means the sea palace. Adding on to this, when listening, in the background, one can hear the simplistic drum patterns. They're not really complicated and instead just add on to the piece rather than taking over. Furthermore, the singer of this piece has a rhapsody sort of nasal voice, which represents the sorrow and it can be heard from the yelling throughout the piece. They're also powerful and loud dynamics, but they're not too powerful and, again, don't take over the rest of the piece. Furthermore, the Han, which means the resentful sorrow, is clearly shown throughout the piece, especially in the story, which I'm about to get to. This song talks about a reunion of a father and his daughter. The daughter once sold herself for 300 bags of rice, but then soon, Empress Sim, the daughter, comes back to meet her father, but he doesn't know who she is. This is because, well... The father is blind, and because of this, he can't see her. She sacrificed herself for the 300 bags of rice, hoping it would fix his blindness, but it still didn't. The father is quite confused when he meets Empress Sim, his daughter, and questions if he is perhaps in the sea palace himself. He questions if he perhaps went there with her. He really wants to see her, and as the song goes on, he keeps wanting to see her. And towards the end of the piece, he cries and screams, and this is represented by the elongation of his final words. And finally, he opens his eyes and gazes at his daughter for the first time. This by far is the most special part of this piece. After constantly waiting to see his daughter, after his daughter sacrificed herself for him, he finally can see what she looks like. He is finally with her, his daughter, the person he cares most about. Overall, when one listens to this piece, if they don't know the story, it does sound a bit weird. There's a lot of yelling and some percussive backgrounds, and it somewhat fits the storyline, but doesn't really show the specialness. But once you know the story, you can clearly see how the piece represents that, how the piece creates the story and how it makes it so wonderful.
0: For our final segment and last couple minutes together, I pulled a couple of uh, questions from our Twitter page to ask one of our frequent listeners. And for today's frequent listener that will be coming in to answer some of these questions, it is Oscar Maris. So thank you, Oscar, for coming in. And here are some of the questions that we got from our Twitter page. Now, how does the hierarchy of China affect the music?
5: Well, the people who played the Keen at the beginning were of two types. There were the amateurs who were mainly the wealthy and educated that took up playing the Keen as a pastime. And then there were the scouts, well, the these wealthy and educated were mainly scholars and gentlemen at the time who were required to play the keen and then and at the time the keen was also only meant to be played in court ceremonial music so this kept the majority of commenters from ever hearing about the keen and then there were the professionals who were mainly lower class citizens and were generally less educated these professionals would be invited to play in the previously described, uh, previously described court music. Although after the revolution, folk music was elevated as a national tradition, which was previously looked down upon.
0: All right, so I just have one more question and then our time will be up. So how did the Keen develop over time?
5: Okay, well, the Keen has been around for many centuries. As I previously stated at the beginning, about sixth century BCE, learning to play the keen was a requirement for male scholars and gentlemen. Then, during the third century BCE, the keen was only played in ceremonial court music, which is known as the yayue. Uh, if it wasn't, if it was not played in yayue, then it was to be played as a duet with the with the se, uh, which was a a, 20, a 20-stringed uh, zither that was plucked. After the Han dynasty, which was 206 BCE to 290 BCE, the qin emerged as a solo instrument as well as an accompanying instrument for, cham- for uh, chamber vocal genres. At the end of the Han period and thereafter, the educated started the scholarly study of the qin. Compositions were written specifically for the solo qin, and thus its status and prestige were enhanced. So, in the periods of the su- Sui, 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 I think, I think it's Sui, uh, yeah, and the Tang like dynasties, um, as well as the Five Dynasties, which was five hundred eighty-eight air er, five. I think it's five hundred eighty-one to nine sixty. Uh, the qin was restricted to, on, to only be played in court circles, uh, and then later on during the Song Dynasty, which was 960 to 1027, uh, the qin was developed by fusing Confucian philosophy with Taoist and Buddhist mystical symbolism. Uh, this new uh, ideology made it to where the playing the qin is an act of contemplation, self purification, and self regulation. This made it to where the keen should only be played in private. Jumping further ahead, further the keen reached its highest point during the Ming Dynasty, which was specifically 1368 to 1644. Um, at this time, due to the numerous amount of treaties and handbooks being printed. Uh, jumping more ahead, the 20th century, uh, jumping more ahead in the 20th century, uh, a rapid social change brought about a sharp decline in interest in the Keen, and the number of talented performers dropped to just about a handful, and scholarship came to, an, to a halt due to the revolution. Uh, after the People's Republic was established in 1949, research into the Keene and its history was revived with the backing of the government. Recently, the keen was brought into the modern concert stage with the appearance of new keen virtuosi. Because of the sprouting of these new virtuosi, interest in the keen has grown among members of the educated circle. But among the general populace, the keen was too exclusive and inaccessible due to its association with the past literary philosophy, whew, philosophical traditions yeah. and has therefore been largely neglected.
0: Thank you, Oscar, for the call-in. Well, that is the end of Let's Talk Global Music. Stay tuned for our next episode where we talk about another country and their musical influence on the world.